Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for, man, leading us. We died still waters and in green pastures. We thank you for restoring our soul. We thank you for guiding us even when we walk through valleys that you're with us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We thank you, God, that even when it feels as though we are surrounded by our enemies, that you are there preparing a table before us. And when it feels like our resources are low and our cupboards are empty and our bank account is dry, God, your word tells us that you are anointing our heads with oil and that our cups are running over. Lord, I thank you that when it feels as though everything that we don't want to go on is actually going on, your word reminds us that in fact, your goodness and your mercy are following us all the days of our life. And so Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. And in this moment, as we open your word, Lord, I just ask that you would show yourself strong, that the words I communicate would be clear and compelling, Holy Spirit inspired, and that they would accomplish what you desire them to accomplish. Lord, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I really, I really want to say thank you um, to our, our staff. Can we just put our hands together for our church staff? Thank you, Paula. Paula's about to go on sabbatical, y'all. <laughs> if you don't see Paul, if you don't see Paula in a few months, you know why. It's it's it's, it's a it's a it's a revenge sabbatical. <laughs> uh, but I am, I'm so glad, I'm so grateful for you, Jeremiah, for holding it down. Stephen, I know he's not here, but grateful for Stephen, for our elders and deacons and everyone who circled the wagons, for Ricky and team, Keith, um, Sabrina, still, still plowing forward with you and your team and Yasmin. And, uh, you know, we are small in number, but mighty in spirit. And I just know that God is going to grow us to, to reflect the spirit that we have. And so I'm super excited um, to be back and to be leading over this next season. Um, I didn't come alone. I brought family with me. My sister and my brother-in-law are here. And uh, they've recently um, relocated to Southern California. And so I need y'all to show them some love to convince them to join Relove. You would think that the fact that we're related would be strong enough, but it's not. Uh, and then my mom is here visiting, and uh, so grateful for her. I want to I turn to a passage that, the, that God has been working with me and revealing to me and speaking to me on for the last couple months. Um, I, I've been in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to read the whole passage. It's kind of long. Uh, but I want to read this whole passage because I feel that God has been dealing with me on some things <clears throat> specific to this passage. And I pray and I hope that they will also, it will also be a relevant word to you. I came dressed in my, in my fatigues, JB, uh, in my, uh, in my, in my, uh, in my military colors, camouflage, um, because it's time for us to go to war. It's time for the people of God to go to war. It's time for us to raise up 
and to take back what the enemy is trying to steal from us. Do I got a witness? It's time for us to be serious and committed and determined that we are not going to fall asleep on what God is trying to do in our lives, but that we will be alert and awake and on point and that we will experience everything that God desires for us to experience. So I got anybody in the in the house who can just, just raise your hand in agreement and say, you know what? I want everything. Say it with me. I want everything that God wants for me. I've, I mean that. And I feel that. And today we're going to deal with it. We're going to wrestle with this text for the next couple of weeks, actually. We're going to wrestle with, with how is it possible that there are times in our lives where God is laying out for us his purposes and his, and his providence and his, and his power over our lives. But there's something up that rises up within us that sabotages the very thing that God is trying to do in us. And so in Numbers chapter 13, the title of my message today is Broken Belief. Broken Belief. Numbers chapter 13. I'm starting with verse 25. Just to give you some context, the children of Israel have just been delivered. They've been what? They've just been what? They've just been delivered from Egyptian bondage. Uh, it's been about a year now since they've been delivered. So it wasn't something that just happened yesterday or last week. For about a year now, they've been delivered, and they've been walking towards the promised land. They finally get to the promised land, and the text tells us that, that God commands Moses to go and to send 12 spies into the land to kind of see what's going on, to check out the, the lay of the land, to see if it's as good as God promised it to be, to see if there's abundance and prosperity, to kind of size up the inhabitants that are there. And so Moses gathers 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, and he sends them into to the land. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 25. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Bible says in Numbers 13, verse 25, after exploring the land for how long? For how long? After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful, bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there, verse 28, are powerful, and their, their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, verse 30, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go, Caleb said, at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So we, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land, the land we traveled through and explored uh, will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there are huge. Verse 33, we even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Then the whole community, then the whole community, chapter 14, verse one, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses, verse 5, and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephnun, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, they said to all the people of Israel, the land we travel through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us it is a rich land flowing with milk and honey do not rebel against the lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land they are only helpless prey to us they have no protection but the lord is with us do not be afraid of them touch your neighbor and say do not be afraid of them verse 10 but the whole community what community the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after the miraculous signs I have done among them? <laughs> Look what God says. I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make into a nation greater and mightier. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. He's talking to Moses, verse 13. But Moses objected. Moses is better than me. Moses objected. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt now if you destroy now if you destroy them the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who have already heard that you live among your people they know Lord that you have appeared to your people face to face that your pillar of cloud hovers over them they know that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night verse 15 now if you slaughter all these people and there's some 600,000 people y'all if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them. So he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord. This is Moses trying to convince Lord to change his mind. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your mag magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them, ev them ever since they left Egypt. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these, no good, God forsaken, I'm adding a little context here, not one of these people, stiff-necked, hard-headed people, will ever enter that land. They have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again and again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never, ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors. Verse 23, none of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now, verse 25, turn around. Don't go on toward the land where the, Am the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. They just came from the Red Sea some time ago. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints against me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Verse 28 is our main text. We read all of that to get to verse 28. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to them the very things I heard them say. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop down dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I'm sure some of you are thinking, Pastor, you've been away for a little while. You couldn't come back with a happier text? <laughs> a more encouraging word? Uh, something like the joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus loves me. I don't know. This is the word the Lord has given me. Father, as we open your word, Lord, we, op we ask that you would open our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. During my time, I had uh, plenty of time, um, mostly to spend with my family, which I'm grateful for. And one of the joys of, of where we live particularly is that I have the honor, my wife and I have the honor of being able to actually walk our daughters to school. I've shared this with you. We walk our daughters to school just about every day. If we're running late, we might drive them, but it's about three, four blocks away. It's literally a 10 minute walk, Yasmin. And uh, we have the honor of walking them to school and we get them up in the morning uh, around 6 a.m. We try to leave the house by 7.45. And during that time we are doing hair and hair and hair and um, clothes and shoes and faces and teeth and breakfast and lunches and gathering book bags. And it's, if, if you've raised kids, as I'm sure many of you all have, Brandon, you all know what I'm talking about. It's a little chaotic in the mornings. Uh, no matter how much time we give us, it seems like we're always rushing at the last minute to get them out of the house. And, but we do it successfully every day. We rush out the house. We walk down uh, the street three or four blocks away. We drop them off. And most of the time when I'm dropping them off, I try to speak a positive word to them in their life as they are going into school. I, I tell them, repeat after me, you are beautiful. You are brilliant. You are smart. You are powerful. You are amazing. You will do great and wonderful things today. I have them repeat that after me. And they say it begrudgingly most of the time. Um, they roll their eyes and they say, okay, okay, do we have to say it again? But I, I want to encourage them to say it. And the reason why I want to encourage them to say it is because there have been times, in fact, it happened a couple weeks ago where my wife and I were watching television. I forget exactly what we were watching, but someone received a medal or an honor. It wasn't the Olympics, but it was something that we were watching where someone was, they won, they won a prize and they got a medal or a trophy. And, and one of our daughters saw that and she said, wow, why are they getting a trophy? And we said, well, because they won a prize, because they won the race. And as soon as we told her that they had run the race, her next immediate word out of her mouth was, well, I will never get a trophy. And I said to myself, why would you say that you will never get a trophy? Well, because I can't run that fast, or I'm not this, and I'm not that. And she started telling us all of these negative things about herself that she was not able or capable of doing. And we were like, where are you getting this from? And so we started to speak life over her and try to encourage her. And, and, and so that situation has happened before, and it has really solidified, Joan, my desire to make sure that as much as possible, our children grow up in an environment with positive reinforcement. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say positive reinforcement? That someone is speaking life over them, that someone is encouraging them, that someone believes the, the best for them, that someone believes that they can do anything and everything that they set their hearts and their minds to. And, and you all may be like me, um, doing the same for your children. And when you were growing up, your, your parents may have done the same for you. And yet, as I'm rehearsing this and doing this with them, I, it blows my mind, Miss Sheila, the fact that, that so often in our lives, it's 
by and large, very easy for us to speak life over others. It's very easy for us to be encouraging towards our children. No, you can do it. Go a little bit harder. Go a little faster. You can make those grades. You can, be, you can run that race. You can do it. And we speak life over other people. But when it comes to ourselves, so often we have a hard time speaking that same positivity, that same positive energy, that same affirmation over our own lives. In fact, if you're honest with yourself as I have to be with myself, too often we get up and we look in the mirror and we begin to recount all the things that we have not done or all the things that we cannot do or all the issues that are wrong with us. If I was just a little smarter, if I was just a little artic more articulate, if I just weighed a little bit less, if I could just get rid of these love handles, if I could just gain a little bit more weight, if I just lived in a different area and we start to really are be be hypercritical of our lives. In fact, you've heard the saying as a preacher, I know it all too well, that too often we are our hardest critic. Do I got a witness anywhere who knows what I'm talking about? That when it comes to engaging others, that we can be positive and we can share good affirmation and we can share positive energy and positive vibes. But when it comes to engaging ourselves, so often we are our worst enemy. Why is that? Why is it that it's very easy for us to speak life to others most of the time, but it's very difficult for us to embrace our own belief that we ourselves are able? I think it is because most of us, myself included, suffer from PTUD. Yeah, you're probably familiar with PTSD right? Post-traumatic, finish it. Stress disorder. We know what PTSD is. It is a, a, a psychiatric disorder that occurs in people who have experienced or witnessed some traumatic events such as a natural disaster or have been in a serious accident, a, terrorist, a terrorist attack. They've had some type of sexual abuse happen to them throughout their life. They've been threatened by death or by violence or by injury. And as a result of what they've experienced, they now have a heightened sensitivity to the events around them. I shared this story with you all before that, that there was one time where I was driving down that demonic 91. And I'm going to tell you that 91 is still demonic. It is. I was driving down that, that demonic 91 and I got accosted by a motorcyclist. I told you all that story before. They came and they punched out uh, the, my rear view mirror because they thought that I cut them off or I swerved into their lane, even though they were splitting lanes. And as a result of that experience, Every time a motorcyclist drives by me or I hear the sound of like a motorcycle engine revving as I'm going down the highway, I start to tense up just a little bit because of what happened about seven years ago. And though it's not major and not as significant as others have experienced who have been to war and battle and back or have made experienced major traumatic experiences in their own personal lives, it is a small version of PTSD where something traumatic has happened and as a result, we just have these moments of uncontrolled, um, unannounced stress that overcome us and that take control of us. And we could be sitting at home or we could be driving in the car, walking to the gas station and all of a sudden our, our levels will be elevated and anxiety will overcome us and stress will take control of us and we feel like we are in a war zone. Well, I think on some level, we also suffer from PTUD, post-traumatic unbelief disorder. Where at some point in our life, someone has failed us. We've experienced some type of traumatic situation that has left us questioning and doubting the intentions of others. Someone, maybe a father figure, maybe a parent, maybe a loved one who, who, who failed to come through on their word, who, who made promises that they did not keep, who, who, who uh, gave us assurances that ended up being false. And so as a result, we live our lives with this shadow of unbelief around us. I, I, I feel like that's possibly what the children of Israel were going through. That because of where they had been, mind you, they had just come out of some 400 years of Egyptian bondage. 
where I'm sure it is that every generation after the next, the grandmothers would rise up and the, the, the patriarchs would rise up and they would say, we believe that God's going to come deliver us. And God did not come. And one generation would die and another generation would grow old and then another generation would die. And generation after generation, they lived with this hope that one day a Messiah, one day a deliverer, one day a Moses would rise up for 400 years, though it never happened. And so now when it finally happens, they, they, they're, 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 they're probably a little bit skeptical. They don't really believe that it's really going to happen. And so they have this post-traumatic unbelief disorder. Even though God shows up and does miracles after miracles and miracles because of where they've come from and the baggage that they're carrying, they just can't seem to get over the hump. And by no means am I trying to excuse or to justify, I'm just trying to understand how can someone still not believe in the power of God after they have seen him part the Red Sea? How is it that someone still can't believe in the providence of God after they have seen him come and wipe out their enemies with 10 plagues? How is it that someone can still not believe in the provision of God after they have seen him rain down manna from heaven? How is it that someone cannot believe in the sustaining hand of God after they have seen him literally cause water to come from a rock? Something had to be psychologically and spiritually wrong with them. That their equilibrium was off. They had been through so much that no matter what God did or what God said, they just couldn't get over it. And I think that there are some people in the house of God today who also fall in that category. Where no matter what the promise of God is, and how reassuring his word is and how he speaks to you in the midnight hour and how he comforts your soul and how he's leading you beside still waters, you still have this undercurrent of unbelief in your life where you're not quite sure if he's really going to be able to help you with your marriage. You're not quite sure if he's really going to be able to work out this financial situation. You're not quite sure if, you're, if he's really going to be able to show up and protect your family. You've gone through some stuff where you've questioned the hand and the provision of God, and now it leaves you like, you know what? Can this God really be trusted? And like the children of Israel, I think that we are also living in a generation today who has broken belief. So I'm reading numbers and I'm blown away that the majority of these people just refuse to believe what God said. So God does all these miracles. He delivers them. He brings them to Mount Sinai. There's a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They, 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 they have the covering of God, the provisions of God. They come to the banks of the promised land. And in this moment, God's saying, you know what? Let's send out some spies and spy over the land and bring back a good report. They go out. The spies spend 40 days walking around, covering some 500 miles, according to scholars, some 500 miles, they come back. And when they come back, they come back with a mixed report. Two of them are for this adventure. Two of them are for this, 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 this military strategy. Let's go forward. They're, they're like, it's ours. God is with us. We can take this land. But 10 of them are against it. And as I'm wrestling with this, what, what blows my mind is that all 12 spies, Joan, they saw the same thing. It's not like 10 spies saw something that the two didn't see. It's not like the 10 spies actually saw giants and the two spies didn't see the giants. No, no, they all saw the exact same thing. But how is it that when they came back, they had two different reports? As I was reading this text, I couldn't help but think about my life, your life, that when it comes to our lives, all of us in here, say all of us, all of us in here experience the exact same thing. And yet some of us see what we're going through and we rise above it. And others of us see what we're going through it and we allow it to overcome us. How is it possible that we can all go? We all, all of us have issues. Yeah. 
Tell your neighbor, you got issues. And I got issues. Like, all of us have issues. All of us are a little crazy. All of us, on one level or another, have experienced loss. All of us, at some point in our life, have experienced trials and difficulties. But how is it that some people are able to go through life and able to rise above the, the, the challenges while others go through the exact same thing and their faith crumbles? And as I'm wrestling with it, I believe it comes down to our beliefs. It comes down to our thoughts. At our core, it is boiled down to our, 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 our thought process. See, see, with these 10 spies, see, they think that the freedom is in the milk and the honey. And that Moses is supposed to, to lead them quickly and comfortably uh, into paradise. They, they believe that, that, you know what, we've had a hard time. God's going to come and he's going to walk us through into the, into the promised land and everything's going to be okay. But when obstacles come on the horizon, their freedom becomes chaos and they find themselves, even though they are free people, they are still slaves in their hearts. Though they are free from slavery, their thoughts are still broken. Like, like, follow this. They've been delivered. God is now trying to move them into destiny. He's trying to move them into promise. He's trying to move them into prosperity. He's trying to move them into abundance. The land flowing with milk and honey where they are the head and not the tail. They've been delivered from bondage. And God is trying to move them into a place where they are now stepping into who they have been called to be. Now, what's interesting about this, Nicholas, is because their deliverance from bondage required no faith on their part. Moses was the one who had faith. Moses was the one who went to Pharaoh and did the 10 plagues. Moses was the one who led them out of Egypt. Moses the one who had to step into the Red Sea and watch it part. Moses was the one who had to speak to the rock even though he hit it and the water come out. Moses was the one who called manna down from heaven. Moses was the one who did all of these things. Literally, they had to do nothing. God required nothing from them. And as I'm reading this and studying this, I'm saying, wow, this is so true even in our lives that deliverance actually requires nothing from us. You don't have to do anything to be delivered. You just pray that prayer, Lord, I want to accept you as my savior. And in that moment, God delivers you. In that moment, salvation is secure. In that moment, you have been set free from Egyptian bondage. In that moment, your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In that moment, you have the reassurance that you have been justified by the blood of Jesus. And it literally, it required you to do nothing. But destiny, destiny requires belief. Deliverance require surrender so at some point the children of Israel had to say okay we're going to let Moses lead us okay Moses lead us and they just had to follow Moses' lead but now they are on the banks of the Jordan and they're about to go into the promised land and they recognize that this thing is not I'm not going to be able just to walk into this thing the same way we walked out of Egypt I'm actually going to have to do something now and I just, as I'm reading this, Lord, help me communicate it. I, I want us to be clear in this place today that if you're going to experience the destiny that God has for you, if you're going to step into prosperity, and I'm not talking purely about financial, I'm talking about mental and emotional health, a happy marriage, a strong family unit. If you're going to step into your purpose as a man or a woman, stepping into what God has created you to be, to be a creator and not a consumer, it requires that you fight deliverance requires surrender destiny requires fight okay let me let me try to make this thing a little bit more clear uh, uh, so I have uh, subtly uh, sporadically, casually, been training for a marathon. 
You didn't expect that to come after subtly, casually, and sporadically. Uh, it, it's next week, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 26 miles. Point two, point two. Thank you, Mishila, reminding me that. So far, uh, I'm up to five miles. Yeah, yeah, pray for your pastor. Uh, that is a good question, if I'm still going to do it. Uh, what, what, I, what I've come to realize in this process of training, not training for this marathon, is that it requires nothing of me to wake up in the morning. It requires nothing of me to, 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 to brush my teeth and put my clothes on and to help my daughters get ready for school. It requires nothing of me to do those things. But if I want medals and awards and destiny, I've got to get my hips not just up out of bed, but I've got to go put on my shoes, Miss Sabrina, and I've got to go run. I'm realizing that if I want the prize of being able to step into and cross that finish line and be proud of what I've accomplished, if I want the success of being able to say, you know what, I had a goal, I determined to go after that goal, and I achieved that goal, it requires work. Say work. 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 Now, let's be very clear. My, my value and my worth in life is not based on whether or not I complete that marathon. Right? Right? So I'm not hanging my, 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 my personal identity on whether or not I complete this marathon. No. But it's just something that I feel like in my life I would like to achieve. It's just something in my, that I feel like in my life that God has called me to do, I think. Right? It's just something in my life that I feel like, you know what, this, it's, it's, it's something that I want to go after. I want to be able to say, yeah, I actually did it once. Just once. Just once. And to do it requires work. I want us to understand the difference between deliverance and destiny. When you accept Christ as your savior, you have been in that moment delivered from sin. You might still wrestle with sin. There might still be some fragments and remnants of sin in your life. But you have been in that moment justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are delivered. You are set free from Egyptian bondage. You are set, you can step outside of the chains and the shackles that have been holding you. However, there is a difference between being delivered from sin and stepping into your purpose. And stepping into your, your calling, stepping into what God created you for, stepping into abundance and prosperity. There's a difference. One just requires surrender. The other requires work. So, so the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. Nothing was required of them. They literally had to do nothing. But for God to actually take them to where he wants them to go, they have to be participants with God. So there is some opposition and there are going to be some setbacks and there are going to be some challenges. And what the children of Israel failed to understand is that just because God has been carrying you this whole way, it doesn't mean at some point in your journey, your, your, your faith is not required. Because if you truly want to step into all that God has in store for you, a healthy marriage, healthy children, a prosperous home, it takes work. Do I got any married folk? In the house, I got one in the back. Do I got anyone else? I got one over here, one right here, who will say, yeah, 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 it takes work. It takes work. That it's not something you just stumble into. It's not something that, you just, that just falls in your lap. It takes work. You want to start the business? Guess what? It takes work. You want to complete that degree? It takes work, right? You want to achieve those goals? It takes work. And all of that, including the deliverance from sin, is a part of God's plan for your life. But many of us fall short of the promised land because our thoughts 
are broken. You all know that, that old saying, that old saying that says, uh, uh, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words become, they become your actions. Watch your actions become, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character because it becomes your destiny. And so here the children of Israel are on the banks of stepping into their destiny, but because their thoughts are still broken, they are about to abort and sabotage everything that God had been working to give them. All God required of them was to say, yes, let's go forward. And the same way that he delivered them from Egyptian bondage and delivered them through the Red Sea and delivered them from, from, the, from the dry desert and giving them water and food and manna, he was going to deliver them into the promised land. But because they saw opposition and they saw giants and they saw, they saw uh, work and they saw struggle, they felt like, you know what? How has God brought us to this wilderness to die? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. Like, like let's just read it. It's, so the two men, chapter 14, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothing and they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land. Do not rebel against God. Verse 10, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Listen, when you think about your life, you are either, you are either aligning yourself with the two or you are aligning yourself with the ten. You are either aligning yourself with the two or aligning yourself with the 10. So God is like, you know what? I can't, I can't, I can't fool with y'all no more. I can't mess with y'all no more. And God said, Let's just start over, Moses. Now, there was another time when God said this as well. There was another time in Exodus, I think it's 32, where the children of Israel uh, decided to make this golden calf. And they were dancing around the golden calf. And Moses came down from spending 40 days with God on the mountain. And he comes down with the, ta with the tablets and he sees them dancing around the golden calf. And, and, and he throws the tablets down. He goes back up to God. And God's like, you know what, Moses, let's just start over. God's like, you know what? I'm tired of these people. I'm tired of the fact that they can see everything I've done for them and everything I want to do them for them, but they still are choosing to not believe that I love them. In fact, some scholars suggest that in this text in Numbers 14, that the Israelites were really saying, you know what? That, that, like, that God is our enemy, that God is against us. Why would God bring us to this point and, 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 and have us die at the hands of these huge giants? Why would he not just kill us in Egypt? Because their thoughts were broken. They said, because God didn't give me my destiny the same way he gave me my deliverance, he must be my enemy. I, I want you to know in here that God is not your enemy. That if you are not experiencing something in your life, if you are not experiencing the home and the family and the mental, emotional, spiritual health that you want to experience, it's not because God is treating it like a, like, a, like a carrot on a stick. It's not because God is trying to keep it from you. God is not your enemy. He is actually trying to get you to step into everything that you want. In fact, I, I love how David says it. He says how the Lord will keep no good thing from those who walk uprightly. That David understands that God, God is not some taskmaster trying to prevent you from experiencing abundance. No, God wants to lavish you with all of his goodness and all of his righteousness and all of his peace. But you just have to claim it and fight for it. You got to fight against your unbelief. You have to fight against your, the, 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 the thoughts that, have, that are sabotaging the promises of God. You have to fight against the impulse to think that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough. You must fight against all of those negative self-defeating thoughts that rise up and prevent you from fully experiencing and claiming the promise of God over your life. You have to fight. So the children of Israel are here, 
Moses intercedes. And Moses says, God, don't do it. Don't do it. Show yourself strong. And God says, all right, you know what, fine. I'm not going to do it. But these jokers not going to go in. They're not going in. And verse 28 says, um, Numbers 14, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. The very thing you said, I will do. So when you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm not good enough, and you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm not smart enough, and you wake up in the morning and you might not say it to yourself, but the thought is creeping through your mind. You say, I won't, this will not be a good experience. I will not have a good day. That you are setting yourself up to experience the very thing that you are thinking. It is both spiritual reality and a psychological fact. That as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that whatever you are experiencing in this life or not experiencing in this life, it is a direct result of your thoughts. Whatever you are experiencing in this life or not experiencing in this life, it is a direct result of your thoughts. Because this is the reality, and I say it with all love and respect, that there are people who are going through worse things than you who have still found a way to overcome and succeed. There are people who have gone through more horrible situations, more tragedy, more difficulty, more loss, and yet have still bounced back and are succeeding in multiple areas of their life. So, so, so I want us to get off the pity potty and stop feeling like, oh, it's just me, it's my situation, it's not, it's not my thoughts, it's just the reality that the hand that I was dealt. No, there are people who literally were, were dealt a worse hand than whatever your hand looks like, and they still found a way to win in Christ. It's because life and death is in the power of your mouth, your thoughts, what you say to yourself. And here, Numbers 14, he illustrates, he says, you know what? You know what? I'm going to do exactly what you say. So if you say, you know what? I, I, I believe in God for healing. I'm believing God for overflow. I'm believing God for blessings. Then God opens up and he begins to shift the world around you to experience the very thing that you are believing God for. And even if it doesn't come to pass or work out the way that you ideally would like it to work out, it's still not indictment on your God. You say, well, God has another plan and I'm still going to believe God for promise and prosperity. I'm still going to believe God for destiny. I refuse to allow myself to be my worst enemy. I will speak life over everything in my life at all times in my life. It's not me living in denial. It's not me burying my head in the sand like an ostrich. No, I'm going to be aware of the situation. I'm going to be uh, acutely attuned to, to, the, to the dynamics that I'm experiencing. But I'm just choosing to believe that God's not done with whatever the situation might be. I'm choosing to speak life. And so for every day that they scouted the land, God said to them, y'all going to walk around this wilderness a day for a year. They were spying out the land for 40 days. They walked around the wilderness for 40 years. Some of us are in the wilderness. Yeah. We, we, we kind of have the assurance of our salvation, but because of our upbringing and our thoughts and our beliefs, we have yet to experience what we feel like God is really trying to lead us into. And we are, we are literally wasting away in the wilderness. What, what does the wilderness look like? The wilderness just looks like lack of purpose. Yeah. 
And I've been there. I've been, I'm not talking about something I don't know. I've been in the wilderness. And there are moments where I feel like I'm still in the wilderness. Where, where it is just you are, you, you spend most of your time numbing your life. And so you spend all of your time on social media looking at other people's lives. You will binge Netflix and Hulu and what else is there? Uh, Disney Plus and Amazon trying to somehow escape the work that is required of you to step into the, the purpose and the destiny. And you are just wandering. You will go on binge nights of drinking and hanging out with friends, not really doing anything. You punch the clock, you're there on time at work and you, you clock in, but then when you clock out, you're just kind of a shell of what God desired you to be. You are living in the wilderness. You're not pouring into anyone's life. No one's getting better because of you. You're not speaking life to anybody. You're not serving anybody. You're not lifting the community around you. You're just going through the motions. You're in the wilderness. God did not design his children to be in the wilderness. Not for an extended period of time, Yasmin. No, 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 no. The wilderness is just something that we pass through. The wilderness is just something that we that we that we that we glance through, that we drive by, and 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 we pick up a few lessons in the wilderness. We learn about the the mighty of the, the power of God and the might of God and the, the provisions of God. But but God never intended us just to be wandering year after year after year, struggling in our homes, struggling financially, struggling with our health, struggling in our job, feeling like we're working a dead-end job, not really getting fulfillment. No, that's wilderness, y'all. If you hate going to work in the morning, wilderness. <laughs> That's not land flowing with milk and honey. And God is saying, for you to move from wilderness into promised land requires believing that whatever the giants are that are trying to scare you off of your destiny, you have to believe that God is stronger and strong enough to give you the ability to overcome those giants does it mean that you won't go through some stuff no because even Jesus was in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4 the Bible says that the Spirit of God chapter 3 the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness because in the wilderness he was trying to teach him and to connect with the Father but but he didn't spend forever there just 40 days in the wilderness. And the text says that when he came out of the wilderness, he came out with power. Some of us are dying in the wilderness. And God is saying, this is not my place for you. Now, I don't want anyone to misinterpret me. You might be saying, you know what, pastor, I receive it. My marriage is wilderness. It's time for me to shed this thing step into my promised land of freedom and singleness listen the devil is a lie that is not what I'm saying some of you all might be saying you know what you're right my, my job is wilderness it's time for me to shed this thing and go get my boss a piece of my mind listen uh, you better make sure the Lord is with you in that conversation but what I am saying is that whether it's a, a unfulfilled career whether it's a stressful marriage, whether it's a time of, of, of financial lack, God is saying, listen, you'll go through seasons, but the way that you overcome is not always by changing your environment. It's by changing your thoughts by changing your thoughts. So every day, I confront the day believing that I am a child of God. He loves me unconditionally. I am light in my community. I am strength for my family. I am joy to my neighbors. I am a faithful husband. I am a patient father. I am physically and mentally and spiritually alive. 
money comes to me in increasing amounts from multiple streams, I will experience all that God has in store for me. I'll be a blessing to those I encounter. I'll be encouragement for those who are discouraged. I'll be joy for those who are depressed. I am going to experience the grace of God, the beauty of God, and the love of God in this life and in the life to come. I want everything God has in store for me. This is what it means. And God looks at his children and I think he says to us, be it unto you according to your faith. If you believe I can, I will. If you believe I can't, I won't. Be it unto you according to your faith. And an entire generation died in the wilderness because they did not believe God. And God is merciful. God's saying, I'm not going to send you back into bondage, but I can't send you forward into promise. So you just have to wander. And you wander and you wander. And you die in the wilderness. And my prayer for us as a church, for you as members, for us as a community, is that we would spend no more time in the wilderness than what we have to. That every day we would rise up and we would say, God, I'm believing you. I'm claiming your word. I'm believing that you are for me, not against me. God, that when, when, when the enemy comes in, you will fight these battles for me. That you will lift up a standard against him. That I will experience all that you have in store for me. God, I'm believing you that you are going to be the, my shield and my protector. That you are going to fight these battles. God, I'm believing you for health and prosperity and stability. God, I'm believing you for promise. And my appeal you today is that whatever self-defeating thoughts that have been lingering and lurking in your mind that have been leaving you sabotaging and undermining the purpose and the plan of God for your life that you would abandon them today that you would recognize them that you would call them out you would declare that they don't belong in you any longer they have no more real estate in your mind and that you are filling your heart and your mind with the promises of God Oh, if that's your prayer, if that's your desire, would you just lift your hand with me in this place? Father, our hearts this morning have learned the lesson from the children of Israel, which says, God forbid that we look at what you are trying to give us and we undermine your power and your promise because we feel we are unable, unqualified, not strong enough because we feel we lack. God, our promise, your promise in us was never dependent upon our own resources. It was never based on our military strength, on our strategic ingenuity, God. It was never based on our financial resources. It was never based on our military prowess, God. It was always based on our trust in you. There are some who have a broken belief where they wrestle with your word and when they look at their life, they see the struggles and the disappointments that they've experienced and so they have moments randomly of, 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 of tragic unbelief that paralyzes them. God, my prayer is that they would abandon, abandon those thoughts, abandon the doubts and even when they don't feel like it, that they would declare with conviction and with certainty that because God is for me, who can be against me? God is for my marriage. God is for my children. God is for my professional advancement. God is for my, my, my creative contribution to this world. God is for my mental health, my spiritual health, my physical health. If God is for me, who can be against me? So, Lord, this is our prayer.
we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Let everyone who believes say amen. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say, I believe? No, 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 no. And I'm not convinced. Turn to your neighbor and say, I believe. Turn to him and say, I will experience everything God has in store for me.